Welcome to Friday in the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Woff. Man, I saw like I gargled great glass this morning. Why? It, it, I don't know. I just it's the something you do every now and again. It's the back and forth <laughs> of going to work and being at sea level and coming back here and then having to do some stuff at my mom's. So yeah, sinuses are like. Psh. So that was me all over the place this week. Yeah. I was busy in between, just running around. I lay down the couch and watch quite a bit of shit, um, including our first episode of the of the month of the new episodes of movie episodes. <laughs> this should be an interesting month. Yeah, man. <laughs> well, we haven't recorded the episode Mother's yet. Mother's Day. We're doing that after after this, and you know everybody calls their mama queen, and so I thought we we have a perfect movie to start all that off, and we'll just save that for when it comes out this week. As far as like let you know what it is, but we'll 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 fill in the gaps when when in the, that first episode of what the what we're doing this month. I did spend a lot of time dealing with some of my mom stuff this week, so if it was fitting that we were leading into <laughs> covering mom movies. Are they really mom movies or uh, empowered women movies or something like that? That's not exactly Whatever. what it is, but it, it's fitting. I was trying to look at stuff to talk about this week. So I can't, you know, uh, even though last week we were, we acknowledged that today was going to be May 1st and we were already done with April that I hadn't really looked at any movies that are coming out. There's nothing really coming out this week. But what is interesting is that once again, I mean, I feel like Disney, since they bought Star Wars, they've really gone out of their way to make sure that, oh, I don't know, that they ring that washcloth until there's not a drop left. Kind of thing. Sure. And I don't necessarily mean about new shows or anything like that. They license out the original Star Wars trilogy for a 4K Blu-ray steelbook release with Best Buy on Tuesday. Didn't I, I mean didn't, didn't they already do? I think I think I own the three of them on Steelbook and I don't I've never even opened them. There's so many versions. I don't even care. It's the same, it's the same movie. It's the same. I wouldn't be surprised, like a lot of reissues are or re-releases. You just open it up and it's literally the same disc. It's not even. No, I'm sure it is. They just change the packaging. It's literally is the same silk screening on top of the disc. It's just. My question is, I want to just know where can I get the original Star Wars movie that I saw in a theater? Which version is that? Okay. Um, That's all I care about. The the, the rest of them are shit. <laughs> I'll say it on mic because I don't care. Um, but there is. The three movies have been assembled by a fan through various sources, through LaserDisc, original 35 print that he found, a little bit of some of the Blu-ray stuff. Like, it's it's just this Frankenstein, but he cut it into theatrical versions. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, what I do have, I believe, I do have a letterboxed version on VHS that might be non-tampered with version, maybe. A lot of that stuff is what, what this guy has done with what he, the parts that he utilized. And um, I do have all three of those on in digital form, but I've never got around to burning them to a Blu-ray, but they are very much like that. If you, and they're set that if you burn them to Blu-ray, they will be 16 by nine. So they, they will fill properly. Sweet. Before you start, uh, I'm just going to toss this out. You got one day left. Today is your last day to take advantage of the Easter carnage sale at arrow video. Yeah. 50% off, man. Up to 50%. Up to 50%. There's some good shit there. There is. The, yeah. King of New York, I did, 4K. I did that bi, biannual thing where you load up your cart and go, oh, I can't get any of this stuff right now. 
Right. Oh, Jesus Christ. There's way too much. There is. Uh, it's like if you buy, buy one, force. you're buying 10. You can't just buy one thing. And it's not about the free shipping. It's just that, you know, if I'm already buying something, then you start, you do that whole collector's mentality thing of when you're like, oh, you know, but I don't have this or I need to upgrade this. But then you ask yourself, like an do adult, doing <laughs> like an adult. When was the last time I watched this? It wasn't like it wasn't available. When was the last time I watched it? It was on Netflix for five years. Now that it's not, now I'm excited about wanting to buy it on Blu-ray. No, true. I have to do that. And one of those movies, <laughs> Deep Impact, this week. That's the only other thing that I saw that stood out. Oh, sorry, an eighty for Brady. Okay, look, I know, oh, dude. I don't even want to talk about that. I, I saw the trailer and it scared me. I know there's movies that are not made for us, but how did that movie get made, dude? Honestly, I I don't no get it. All the people who love Grace and Frankie. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Why did Netflix just? Why, why is this a Netflix movie? It, that's what. Why don't they just do be. a half hour episode of Grace and Frankie going to the Super Bowl with her friends? I felt bad that these stuck. Sally Fields and Rita Moreno in this because they're adorable <laughs> and they're sweet ladies. I just can't stand either two. I can't watch, I mean, I can't even watch the trailer. Every time it comes on, I just have to, I just have to change the channel. I keep seeing it now on blah, blah, blah. I'm like, <laughs> oh, maybe it's on Peacock or something. So bad. Oh, shit. Well, if it was, I didn't notice it. Cocaine Bear is on Peacock. And it's been there for a while. Did we not talk about that? I guess we did. No, maybe we did. Maybe oh, I just keep no, ignoring it. I dude. keep pretending it's not happening. Oh, it's so fucking awesome. <laughs> you should watch it. No, I'm going to. It's the proper kind of send off for Ray Liotta, dude. He's so wonderful, and he literally is Henry. Yeah, we did we did talk about it because I blinked on Henry Hill's name, and you filled in the gap. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is. No, yeah, I'm he, gonna watch it. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. He's so funny. I felt like that it was fun to watch the crowd. We didn't have a big crowd, probably like about 20 people in the room. I think that's what it was. I thought you were gonna say it's fun to watch with a bunch of cocaine. I probably would be, wouldn't it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I've never done blow, so I have no idea. I felt like it might have been one of those movies that probably would have lent well to a stream and kind of like a live commentary kind of thing because <laughs> there's a lot going on there. That's kind of what I felt about our first movie of the week. Mm-hmm. Boy, I can't wait to talk about that. Yeah. So we should just get through this. Yeah. We've got a lot to talk about on this. Yes, thing. we do. So, so go. Your turn. Go. Okay. So Paramount Plus, I know it sounds like a commercial. <laughs> It really does. Paramount Plus, the best streaming service <laughs> around. Cha-ching. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Paramount Plus. I talk about the service so much to people that I'm really starting to feel they're, they're, they think that I'm on the payroll, but I'm not. You're like a prior. I'm not. <laughs> You're out preaching the word. <laughs> I am not, damn it. So when I came home from doing Running Around, I... Saw that there's new episodes of Beavis and Butthead, so I threw those on. I was watching them. And as soon as they were over, you know how some of these menus are when they're stagnant. Instead of staying there too long and going to a screensaver, they'll start showing off different things that are available on the service. Well, I'm not really big on remakes, and we've talked about that recently, about reimaginings of feature films being turned into limited series. Um, well, I kept seeing this ad, just this splash screen for Fatal Attraction, which is these two almost, almost plain looking people standing in a partially open elevator. Clearly, they're intimate with each other because of how close they're standing. And it says Fatal Attraction spread across the screen. I'm like, fuck, is this a. And I didn't know because it wasn't very descriptive. 
It didn't say if it was a series or if it was a movie. And I didn't really hear about either one of them being made, which really sucks because it is a series and it just premiered uh, midnight on the 30th. So I watched two episodes of it and it stars Joshua Jackson and Lizzie Kaplan in the roles that were originally Michael Douglas and Glenn Close. Now it's, I don't want to give anything away and how the show works because that is where its uniqueness comes from. Um, but it's really good so far. Again, along with Joshua Jackson, Amanda Peet plays his wife, Beth. Saw the same names as the original, but it really, really plays well. I, and again, if you've seen the movie, original movie from 87, it's okay to see this and not feel like, oh God, they're doing this. Because so far it's been done in a very unique way and it doesn't feel doesn't feel heavy-handed you know what i mean yeah we talked pre-mike about how joshua jackson has just become this he's like baby george clooney yeah this performer now that is just so fucking good and his opening scene of the first episode is so like okay if you're if you're mentally only checked in to one thing about Joshua Jackson's career, like we were fixated last month with the twist of the movies that we covered. If you just fixate on that one thing that makes that thing memorable, and you're all you think about is him as a mighty duck or him as a Dawson's star from Dawson's, Dawson's Creek, this is gonna sway you in a big way. And it's funny, man. I don't even associate him with either. I associate him only really with Fringe. Isn't that weird? Well, it's. I, but it's so funny because Fringe, he's more an extension of the performances he gave in those shows. But with this, it's like, this is an adult movie for him. This is like a, a good on whoever hired him. Because, like, first of all, Lizzie Kaplan is fucking rad in everything. She's probably one of my favorite performers at all. Uh, and whether it's female or male, it doesn't matter to me. She makes everything watchable. And but it was funny, like I said, that splash screen, I couldn't tell what the fuck it was. I couldn't tell it was them. And even now knowing, I kept thinking it was that guy that I thought Joshua Jackson reminded me of. I kept thinking it was that character actor, which would make sense on a low-key fatal attraction remake or whatever they're trying to do at the time before I realized what it was. And I don't know if you noticed this week, but speaking of Dawson's Creek, there's been this I mean the episode clip that's been going around of James Vanderbeek walking on screen. And throwing a basketball at Pacey's face. And Pacey, of course, is Joshua Jackson's character on the show. It, so it was weird. It's like it was his basketball that bounced off his face and then hit the camera and then bounced away. And it, people are pontificating about, oh, it was CG. It was this. It was this. And he was on Tonight Show this week. And I'm like, what the fuck's he doing on Tonight Show this week? That's weird. And I see a clip. And he's talking, and he starts talking about, and I realized later on he's promoting this show, and he dispels all the the chatter on Twitter and wherever else where they were talking about this basketball and how it was shot and everything. Because it was just a beach ball painted to look like a basketball. <laughs> <laughs> and the way it bounced off his face and hit the camera was totally accidental. And once I knew that if that's what it was, I went back and watched the clip again. And yeah, the physics plays like it's a beach ball. It's actually really funny. Once you know it's a beach ball, <laughs> painted to be like a basketball, it's perfect. Anyway, so yeah, Fail Attraction. Um, it was it was uh, it's co-run. It was created by Kevin 
Hines and Alexander Cunningham. And Alex is best known for, as far as the writers go, uh, working on Desperate Housewives. And she's the only person on Desperate Housewives and the entire writing team that ever wrote, that actually wrote more epi episodes of that show than Mark Cherry, the creator. But Totally Wise is nothing like Desperate Housewives. It's very, again, it's a very fresh take on a story we're all pretty familiar with. I don't want to talk anymore about it because I feel like it's, its uniqueness is the discovery of that uniqueness. The, the enjoyment of the uniqueness is that. Nice. Paramount Plus, there's one more reason to watch it because two episodes in and it's worth your time. And for yeah. no other reason, do you watch Beavis and Butthead? Because those have been amazingly funny. Great uh, Valve releases, especially when you had a week like I had. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in real quick. I'm gonna because this kind of ties into Paramount Plus, and then I'll let you go back to what you're doing. But my what I want the first thing I want to talk about is uh, how Paramount Plus and Showtime have sort of merged now. Yeah, like Paramount Plus wasn't good enough already, but now it's actually merged with Showtime. And I watched Cheryl, the Cheryl Crow documentary which came out last summer but uh and it's been you know i've been it's been sitting on my watch list for uh god like eight months now since right. june of last year right. but man you don't necessarily think you have to be a fan or i mean i'm pretty sure everybody knows who cheryl crow is right. um he's a pretty recognizable person uh but man what a great doc and uh i don't know if you're a fan i'm a big fan I, oh yeah I, I am when i was working in the music business one of my first sort of gigs with the real artist was with Cheryl and her people. This is like right after the uh, venue that uh, we rented them lots of backline and vans and stuff and supported their tours. And everybody from that camp was lovely. She was great. It was, so it was kind of trippy like watching this and going back in through that early period, um, you know, and seeing all these people I had met and seeing what they, you know, what they look like now, 30 years later, it's crazy. Like Bill Petrell and uh, her manager, Scooter and, yeah, man, but it's a really well done documentary. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's ninety minutes, ninety five minutes, um, and it basically, you know, it starts. It starts from the moment when she left Missouri and made her way out here to Hollywood. And there's there's some great photographs of uh, of Hollywood in the Valley, you know, in the late '80s uh, when she got here. Some really cool stuff. And the thing is populated with people, you know, all, all the people you can imagine. I mean, Keith Richards. Uh, Joe Walsh, Emmylou Harris shows up, Brandy Carlisle. Uh, she, they talk with Bill Bertrell. They talk with the people who, you know, were there from the beginning. They cover them. They, they cover the Michael Jackson thing, the whole, you know, I don't want to give away too much because there's a lot of stuff that, you know, if you're not super aware of, it's kind of fun discovery in the doc. But, but man, it is a really well-made doc. You know, I watch a lot of these and, uh, you know, just watch the John Waite one. This one really, you know, this one's very polished. The The weight one I thought was great uh, because it wasn't quite as polished. This one is super polished, obviously, at Showtime. So, they, you know, they, they probably put a little bit more money into it. But uh, what this one really has going for it is literally is the interviews with the people who are in them, you know. And the depth that they go into these interviews, you know, and these people's interaction with Cheryl. Like, yeah, it's really cool, man. And you can watch it on Paramount Plus <laughs> or Showtime. I I felt like there might have been a slight rediscovering with her when in the at the end of Haunting of Blind Manor they use I Shall Believe as a closer and it's like one of those really amazingly earned 
needle drops and extremely unexpected on top of that. And I, but I've, I mean, that's from her first album, Tuesday Night Music Club, where she does blow yeah. up, up out of nowhere. We've talked on here on the show here and there, and just something about the yeah. doc because you told me about the doc, and and I watched the trailer for it without sound. I'm always really big on because I, I want to see if it, it's a movie, so I want to see if it grab me visually. But I also didn't want to give anything away. We kind of talked about doing the John Waite right conversation sometimes. Those stupid trailers show too much and show everything. But you know, I, I am a fan of her work, so I was really looking forward to seeing it. So I watched just a little bit of it, and well, he said this about Susanna Haas. Those, these two women don't even look yeah. like, you, you know what I'm saying? I'm, Dude, she you, just you, turned 60. You know what uh, I, you know where I'm going with this? Yeah. Like, I, I saw her last summer uh, in concert with Keb Moe um, in Atlanta. And dude, I mean, the show was fantastic. She's always been a great performer and she has, she doesn't have an intricate voice. So it lends the longevity of her being in the business. She has a unique character laden voice and fortunately, because of that way she sings, she still sounds amazing. If you if you like Tuesday Night Music Club, you're gonna her voice sounds exactly the same on the latest release, and it's oh yeah, it does. Yeah, she's wonderful. I I, I know about the doc in this. She talks about some of her uh, experiences in the business, the good and the bad, her depression and lots of things. oh yeah, man. She goes, dude. She you know lays it all out there. Just like with the John Waite one, I'm. I'm some people might look at it in a, such a, a, a negative light and as if these people are doing this because th- these documentaries, because of uh, they're looking for extra eyes. Well, well these, they're in this business. They're always looking for extra eyes or, remind, or, or reminding the eyes that used to look at them that they still exist and they're still performing. But I, I find so far, like, like with the way Doc, which I watched, it was fucking tremendous. And, and the stuff that like Zach has done with Milius and with the Rainbow Doc, mm-hmm. they have such a strong foundation behind with the filmmaker that's making it. They're passionate about the subject they're covering. So even though it's, it's hard to cut a documentary trailer and not make it look like another documentary trailer, it's really difficult, which is why that John Waite one was so unique of not, not spilling the beans of what the, right. you know, the, why they're sitting around talking and, and, but this one I'm really excited about there. Were, what was the other doc too that you were mentioning to me? Oh, uh, it's the Randy Rhodes doc. Oh, man. right. Right. Which uh, I, dude, I don't know how I didn't know about this, but yeah. like, because it came out a year ago, it came out like uh, it came out uh, with maybe it was at con last year, but uh, yeah, it it came up in my you might also like after I watched the Wade video, but man, you know if you're if you if you know who Randy Rhodes is, and if you're into that scene, if you were ever into fucking heavy metal. LA Hollywood during the uh, dude, this is a doc for you. And man, dude, they everybody's in. I mean, dude, you they interview Kevin DeBrow. <laughs> I mean, Kevin DeBrow is in this, he's not interviewed, but Kevin DeBrow, yeah. I mean, dude, everybody you can think of. And it's narrated, like you said, by Tracy Guns from LA Guns. But man, what a fucking crazy doc, dude. Like everybody, and you you'll know everyone, dude. You you know, like me, you'll be like, oh fuck, they, they dug up George Lynch's in here. Ozzy, you know, Ozzy should, you know, there's Ozzy. Uh, for people who don't know who Randy Rhodes, uh, Randy Rhodes was uh, Ozzy Osbourne's guitar player, I think, just for one record, right? Just for. Uh, no, he is on, he's on. Was he he's on, on two? On, he's on Diary and. Blizzard of Oz? Blizzard of Oz, yeah. 
So to just the, but just those two because he died in between. Right, he they died. They died on tour. Right. Yeah. What a fun doc. And again, this is a lot of stuff. I mean, I didn't really know the story of Randy Rhodes. I only knew, you know, what happened to Randy Rhodes because it happened when I was like 11 or 12 years old. And I remember, you know, it's kind of like when Cliff Burton died for Metallica. I was probably like 15. And, you know, I, I still probably don't know the details of that. But always knowing who Randy Rhodes was and, and being a big fan of uh, Ozzy back in the day, this doc is a lot of fun, man. And it fills in a lot of blanks and you, you know, you learn a lot. It's more than just like, yeah, he was right. He was Ozzy's guitar player. And uh, there you go. And he died. I mean, you mentioned Kevin Dubrow and, and he's been dead for 15 years. Yeah. At least. I used to run into these guys all the time, not Randy, but I used to run into Kevin Dubrow all the time because even after Randy left and Carlos Cavellas came in to play guitar for him. And that's where, from there is when Quiet Riot blew up. Was soon yeah, after totally. That. But it was weird to think about because he left, Randy left Quiet Riot in 79. And it's weird to hear that a guitar player that was so personified by 80s metal that he, that he went and joined Ozzy in 79. It sounds weird. And people are so used to, most people now anyway, are used to hearing Ozzy Osbourne as a solo artist, but don't realize what a huge fucking deal it was when Ozzy left to do Black Sabbath to do solo stuff. Yeah. So they took their time making that work and putting the right parts together. Uh, joining Randy Rhodes also with, with that group was, was Rudy Sarzo, who <laughs> I ironically would be part of that, that, the, that metal health era quite right when they blow up from there and become become the the faces of la metal and after that everybody every says the motley crew was that but no quite right had the platinum album before motley did and it was um yeah randy rhodes influence on guitar players and obviously that's how you're getting george lynch and those types in there because they were all influenced by them by him and it wasn't just that they weren't capable of playing but he was doing stuff that nobody else was doing and at that time, and, and people have learned to pick up a guitar or pick up a guitar around that time, it's always because of Eddie or because of Randy. It's rarely because of yeah, anybody else. Totally. But it's crazy that he's still talked about. He's talked about a lot in a lot of ways, like a guitar slinging James Dean, where he he had done some work and he died tragically and unexpectedly long before he really got going. And right. Exactly. That's what I'm really looking forward to seeing about, about the doc. And I'm if I gotta be straight up honest with that, he, the guy's guitar playing was so influential on mine because even though he had he had a Floyd Rose, he had a tremolo on his guitar, he rarely used it. Unlike Eddie, who used it, that was very much part of his toolbox. I tried to when I was first learning how to play guitar and playing that style of music. I tried to do it without without with a guitar that didn't have tremolo on it and so I was trying to, that's the problem. When we try to be something like this, the, you had to stop looking at these kind of performers as I want to be like that and just find inspiration from them instead of trying to play like them because you're with guys like this, you're just not going to be able to do that, especially when you're first learning how to play. No. So we've had like three docs in a row, right, uh, that we've offered up um, as far as uh, from the music business, and they're all 80s people. Obviously, Cheryl was at the closing of the 80s, but still, the fact that John and Cheryl are still performing these days is pretty incredible. But it just shows 
how prolific their work was at you know when they got big. I mean, obviously John Wee had a lot more going on before he got to missing you. But that was his big break, and her big break she got right off the beginning. But she had consistent work. She still had top 20 hits, you know, one or two spread out between like three or four records after that. So she kept working and putting out music that was that gravitated to a lot of ears, and people liked her music. No, she's still putting out records. There's a record right. from 2019 called Threads where she, you know, she sort of plays. It's like one of those anthology, you know, it's not an anthology, but like it's a record where, you know, it's like you invite all your heroes and friends and you know to come and play with you or you know or people that you inspired right. um and it's good it's great man and there's a there's a couple versions you can listen to them on spotify you can listen to the straight version which is just the songs or you can listen to there's a record release from a radio station uh or like an iheart radio type thing where um cheryl's in and she talks about each song and then they go into the song so you get a little you know a little uh, sort of documentation on how the song came about and how, you know, the duet or whoever she brought in. It's pretty cool. Right on. And, you know, she sounds amazing. It's funny because like, dude, like she was still cranking out hits until like 2010. And then she sort of, you know, took a break for life for lots of, you know, again, you'll see the doc. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want to wrote it. If you don't know, because look, man, I mean, I, I only knew parts and pieces of sort of what happened like after, you know, after I had moved out of, you know, working in the music business, I, I, I only knew her from the radio, you know, when I'd hear stuff like, yeah, it's cool. And, you know, it's a good doc and it's short, it, you know, relative, and it moves really fast. It's kind of like, you know, you blink and it's over and you're kind of like, damn, I wish that would go on some more. Because when you hear all of the songs as a soundtrack in a 90 minute thing, you're like, damn, she had a lot of fucking hit songs. And she's a rock star, dude. Like literally, oh, she yeah. plays everything. These and those are Keith Richards' words, yeah. And coming from Keith Richards, is, you know, it's a pretty big compliment. Yeah, she did that weird thing though too. Like when all I want to do broke, she got nominated for like almost all the major Grammy categories when <laughs> when that album came out. Yeah, she beat out Springsteen. Yeah, dude, she had Song of the Year, Record of the Year, Female Pop Vocal Performance, and Best New Artist. And that it's, that's that rarity, right? Where a Best New Artist ends up being nominated for all the major categories. Yeah. And she won them all except for Song of the Year. She won uh, Best New, and then Best Female Pop, and then Record of the Year. I mean, because yeah. here's the thing. That song was fucking everywhere that yeah, summer. Dude, you couldn't go anywhere everywhere. without hearing it. <laughs> you couldn't get away because there was a point where I was like, God, oh, I'd never want to hear that song again. But now when I hear it, I'm kind of, you know, it's very nostalgic. And it's actually, it's a really good song, man. You know, the, it, now I'm actually listening to it as opposed to just hearing it. <laughs> or I'm hearing it as opposed to just listening to it. Whatever it is. Yeah. And very, that's, that's really good. In a very short time, too, she had, again, Tuesday Night Music Club was a massive hit. And her sophomore record was actually surprisingly good i'm not surprisingly but it was like oh you, no dude that album's got a ton of hits on it right but they were divergent in that it's more of a rock album than yeah than tuesday night was and if you makes if it makes you happy is a fuck what a great song dude stadium song yeah and it and it won for best female rock and then globe sessions i think she had more hits off the globe sessions as far yeah, as yeah totally i think that didn't she have a bond song yeah dude from she that? did tomorrow never dies she did the Bond song, yeah, absolutely. Oh I forgot about that till yeah. just now. No, totally. That's it's the one with Michelle Yao. Yeah, dude, Cheryl Crow, Brosnan, Michelle Yao. She's awesome. Cheryl yeah, Crow, dude, she's a fucking superstar, dude. Yep, yep. So there you go. That's all I got. 
So like we didn't say enough about Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, damn it. Yes. Okay. By the way, let me let's kind of let me tie something into something we talked about last week. Paramount Plus used to be called before and did all its changes, major changes, where, where it was called CBS CBS All Access, which was fine right. because that's what it was. Yeah. So what did they do? And remember that big? It was a big push Dude, during I woke Super Bowl, up and my CBS was gone. <laughs> right. And you didn't. They didn't start. They didn't charge you more. It just it just changed to yeah. Paramount Plus. And then, of course, they did their push, big push on Super Bowl, and it was just commercials all day long because CBS had the Super Bowl that year, and you're finding out all this cool shit that they were going to have, and I'm like, okay, all right, okay, well, all right. And then what happened? It's turned into what Discovery Warner Brothers thinks they're going to turn HBO Max into, but they, like I said last week, they just don't understand what they have nope. and what branding means. Because if anybody reckon understands, CBS is a subsidiary of Viacom. Of Viacom, and so it, what do they do? They, they change it to a name that people understand and recognize. Correct. <laughs> Correct. We all know what Paramount is. Anyway, Paramount Plus. <laughs> it just works. It just works. It just works. Yeah. Dude, so there we go. We we are a full episode into May, and how we're here is beyond me. Um, we're about to record, like you said earlier, we're about to record the first episode, movie episode for the month. And uh, based on this first one, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Anyways, if you want to follow the show on the socials, it's at Karate Pod on Twitter. Uh, I almost said Facebook. Jesus, that doesn't exist. What? Instagram and Letterboxd. You want to read Corey on uh, Insta? It's Culper97 on Letterboxd. It is Corey underscore Culp. If you want to follow me, you can follow me at Rock and Roll 33 on your Instagram, or you can follow me at Paramount Plus. Maybe. Why not? <laughs> sure. Paramount Plus. We don't talk about it enough. We don't. Paramount Plus, damn it. You should be watching Paramount Plus. 